Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started, please rate and review our show. It helps people find us. On this episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly, SI staffer Emma Bachelary joins me for a delightful baseball-related doubleheader. Later on in the show, we're going to discuss how and why Dodger Dogs became the most iconic concession food in all of sports and whether they're as good as advertised or gasp overhyped. But first, if you're a major league relief pitcher sitting out in the bullpen, there tends to be a lot of downtime, a lot of hurry up and wait, except on those rare occasions when the bench is clear and there's a brawl. Then all of a sudden you have a long, long way to go to get in on the action. Emma talked to several relief pitchers about the long distances they have to cover when a fight breaks out and the comedy of errors that usually ensues as a result. I'm your host, John Gonzalez. From Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio, this is Sports Illustrated Weekly. Emma Bachelary, welcome back to Sports Illustrated Weekly. Thank you for having me. All right, so I love a good baseball brawl. I'm a sucker for a good fight at a a baseball game. One aspect of it, though, that I hadn't really considered was the focus of your latest piece. Kudos to you again for thinking outside the box. Broad strokes, tell us about how and why you started thinking about relievers sprinting in from the bullpen when the bench is clear. So this has been something I've been thinking about since I was a little kid. Every time you see a fight, whether it's on TV and they eventually pan out and you realize like while these guys have been scuffling or posturing or actually fighting around home plate, the relievers have been making this very long jog out from the bullpen and they're just going to have to turn around when they get there. 
And the same if you're watching it in person. That's always the, the few times I've been at a ballpark where I actually get to, to witness it live. It's like, just look at them. It looks so silly. Like I, th- this <laughs> idea of them just making this run out of obligation when they know they can't do anything. And uh, finally decided it was time to, to ask some relievers if, if they felt the same way I did. I love that you have been thinking about this since you were a kid. Now it's in Sports Illustrated. I would imagine that the biggest impediment on this thing, aside from the fact that it is sort of perfunctory that they have to run out there, and by the time they get out there, they have to turn around and go back. But if they are going to run out there with any sort of uh, intent, the biggest impediment would have to be fitness. No, they they expend a lot of oxygen. Right. You know, you're talking about 150 yards, give or take, depending on where the bullpen is. It's a pretty long way to go if you're trying to to really sprint it and not jog it. So by the time you're there, you know, you'll probably be kind of out of breath, especially considering like you've probably been just sitting around before you were called out there. You're going from just sitting to flat out sprint. Uh, yeah, really limits your chances of effectiveness, even if if time and distance were on your side to begin with, which they're not. Yeah. So it is a long way to go. And Pirates reliever, David Bednar told you by the time they get there, it's usually broken up anyway, right? So it's just sort of like this exercise, pun intended, in futility. Get there and it's already all either, it's still going, I think that's really bad. Wait. But uh, usually by the time we get down there, it's, it's all broken up and you're just kind of, you got to walk back and you just talk to everybody. Everybody's out of breath and everybody's <laughs> like, man, whew, everybody needs some oxygen. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, I think if you want to get deep about it, like something about like performative aspects of, of, you know, what it means to be a good teammate that like everyone knows this is kind of a farce that it's not going to work, but you still have to do it. Like if you don't go out and do it, it's going to be like, well, you know, you don't have his back. You're not coming in. What's the deal here? Like You've got to do it, but everyone knows it's all for naught. Also, baseball players are not always in the best shape. So are there guys who don't run in or don't want to run in or only kind of slow jog in? I think there are some and no one wanted to really talk about it. Everyone was like, oh, like, <laughs> of course I sprint out. But yeah, right. um, I can see why you would not want to. It, it's, I'm sure there are, there are some, even if I couldn't get any on the record. Your investigation of this was just delightful. There were some very funny exchanges that you had with some of these relievers, including Blue Jays reliever Jordan Romano, who told you that there are other issues here. The only thing is, it's like you've been sitting a while and then you got a full sprint. So like you're just worried about like your hammies, like hopefully one doesn't blow. If you're going from just sitting to sprinting, it's a real concern. I'm sure, <laughs> you got to sure stretch. Right. You got to stretch it out first. <laughs> exactly. I heard a story from multiple people about one reliever who wears glasses, who had taken his glasses off to apply some sunscreen when a fight broke out and ran out there without his glasses on because he was in such a hurry and then couldn't see anything. So in addition to the, are you stretching uh, question, it's, do you have your glasses on is another one for some people. If you don't have your glasses on, you might not run to the right spot for the brawl. You might hit the wrong guy. If you throw a punch, that's no good. Right. It's real, real uh, factors to worry about here. Yeah, these are all things you have to think about. Other potential problems, you talked to White Sox reliever Liam Hendricks. He mentioned some concerns about jumping over a fence. Yes, apparently he's done this, he said, at least three or four times. We had one in Minnesota, and I just jumped the fence in the bullpen, and it was a lot further down than I thought. And he has gotten in trouble for it. 
Not supposed to jump the fence. No, I, I don't think it's what a trainer would want. I, I like that he was he's just trying to cut down the travel time, hopping over the fence instead of going around it. Uh, I would imagine also, Emma, that there are some guys who are faster than others. So do you know, have you identified who the best sprinter is out of the bullpen when a fight happens? Maybe that's the next step is watching some film to see if I can figure <laughs> out who the, who the fastest guy is. One that didn't make it in here, but who I did talk to was Devin Williams, the Brewers, who was pretty proud of his speed and felt like he usually made a pretty good impression on how fast he got out there. But I, I didn't go back and watch enough to really compare myself. So I'll have to fact check. Anecdotally, who would you guess aside from Devin? If you said, so you know what? I, I would guess he's pretty fed. He's pretty fast. Ooh, that's a good question. I, I feel like not so much on fitness, but on passion and energy. Joe Kelly is standing out to me in my head right now. Kelly says, okay, come on. So he came. Kelly sideswiped him, got a little punch in. Then he got back up and he got taken down. There have been a few that he's been right in the middle of. I feel like he has the the adrenaline and the drive, even if it's not like the best natural fitness to make sure that he's out there pretty quickly. Adrenaline and drive is good especially when applied to relievers because they tend to be a little quirky. So if you got, get some of those guys who are a little bit more keyed up and worked up, you can see them running out there. It is a code. You do have to go out there, but some of them are going through the motions of running out there and pretending like they're actually going to get into this fight. Uh, who's not a fighter? Because Hendricks says he can't fight at all and he's just out there for moral support, right? Yes, uh, which I appreciated that, you know, nice to own up to it. And uh, yeah. another one I got was um, Jorge Lopez of the Orioles. Mateo just gave him a look there. I don't know what he said, if he said something, and now he's staring him down. And there's some yelling from the Baltimore bench. The bullpens are spilling out as well. Saying that he always likes to think he's going out there to help break it up. That he's like, his mission is not you know, like, how can I get in there? But how can I make it stop? The peacemaker. Yeah, exactly. And he still doesn't get there in time. So what about, are there guys who can actually scrap? This is, you know, I, I'm dating myself here, but back in the day, you know, Rob Dibble was a guy who liked to get into a baseball brawl. John Rocker, I would guess when he's not like busy cheering on the January 6th insurrection would be a guy who would like to get into a scrap. Are there guys now uh, of the current era where you'd go, yeah, that's somebody who would like to get into uh, one and, and somebody maybe you wouldn't want to mess with? No one really wanted to call anyone else out for it. I think both because, you know, like it's probably not going to happen for you. And also I just, I, true brawls are so few and far between nowadays. I don't know if that's a higher emotional intelligence that we have going on here or just like a recognition of the risks that were being pretty silly in so many cases. But yeah, like no one really had any examples of like, oh yeah, and I was in the bullpen with this guy who wanted it. Um, Instead, just a lot of uh, ruminations on the, the run itself because they didn't have much to say about what would happen if you actually got there. The run itself. You've been thinking about this since you were nine years old. You finally reported it. It is an excellent piece. Very funny. Reader story on relievers who rumble on SI.com. She's one of the first people we'd want running out of the bullpen to have our back. Emma Bachelary, thank you for this. Thanks. 
After the break, Emma and I get into all things Dodger dogs, including whether they live up to the hype. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Emma Bacilleri, welcome back to Sports Illustrated Weekly. Thank you for having me. Always excited to have you on the show. You you write about uh, generally some peculiar topics. Uh, this one, near and dear to my heart, you wrote recently about baseball and hot dogs, which, which have this symbiotic relationship. But you didn't just write about any hot dogs. You wrote about Dodger dogs. The story bills it as not just an optional add-on to the Dodger Stadium experience. It is the experience. This feels personal for you. Tell us about how and why you wanted to write about the Dodger dog. Well, this was, you know, we were coming to Dodger Stadium for the All-Star Game. Obviously, lots of different iconic pieces of the history there and the team. And I was just really blown away by... uh, how popular the Dodger dog is compared to every other hot dog in baseball that, you know, you think of hot dogs as being a big seller at every stadium and they are, but it just, the Dodger dog just blows the rest away. Like when you look at the numbers, I mean, it's selling more than twice as many as the next most popular hot dog, which is at Yankee stadium. So felt like there was something to dig into there. So the Dodger dog, as you mentioned, 
They sell a ton of them. It became iconic, even though hot dogs at games have always been a big deal. So take us through the history of it. When did the phenomenon start? The hot dog and baseball kind of grew together in general through the late like 1800s, early 1900s as baseball was growing. Why don't you try a juicy, good hot dog? Mmm, delicious. The hot dog is, I mean, it's the perfect food for it. It's portable. It has its own bread carrying case. Remarkably weird way to describe a bun. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it. so you had this increase in, in popularity for the the two of them together over a long time. But then the Dodger dog, you know, didn't come about until even though there there were hot dogs at Ebbets Field when the Dodgers played in Brooklyn, the Dodger dog as a branded phenomenon didn't come until they moved west and gone to Los Angeles. And basically what it was, was early 60s, they were looking for a way to brand their hot dog there. And the concessions manager had thought about billing it as a footlong because it was close to that. It was about 10 inches and realized, you know, if we're selling a 10 inch hot dog as, you know, longer than the standard six inches, but we're billing it as a foot long, like someone's going to measure it and someone's going to call us out. Like we can't <laughs> advertise a 10 inch hot dog as a foot long, but you can't also really call it a, like a 10 inch or like that just sounds weird. So they needed a name and they settled on Dodger Dog. And for oversized appetites, these extra long wieners dubbed Dodger Dogs at the stadium. And that was enough to, to kind of really make it a give it a name, a branded presence. It helped that the supplier also made versions that you could buy in the supermarket and make it home. And really all of that together helped to just take off. So they avoid the fraud of calling it a footlong. They get the alliteration in there, which is always good for marketing. But was there a tipping point where Dodger dogs, as we know them, as locals love them here in Los Angeles, I'm in Los Angeles, people talk about them all the time. Was there a tipping point when they really exploded into popularity where people want, yeah, it's not just a hot dog, it's a Dodger dog. It seems like it's kind of a self-reinforcing thing, if that makes sense, in that like, you know, popular through the 60s, 70s, early 80s, as any hot dog is at a baseball game, but really it's like the 90s, early 2000s, when it it has gotten to the point where it has a bit of history to it and legacy to it, that like, it's something you can make the pilgrimage to get, that it has built up this like decades-long reputation as a hot dog that just as it became more popular, that only helped increase the idea that it's something that people should seek out. And, you know, after it had already become baseball's most popular hot dog, it really just kept increasing the gap between it and everything behind it. You mentioned that the, that the Dodgers sell more hot dogs than any other team. That's an interesting record to have, I guess. How many more are we talking about? Like, is it by an exponent? It's pretty significant. They're on track for about three million this year, um, and if you're looking at the the second place team, that would be the Yankees with 1.2 million. Oh wow! Yeah. So significantly more hot dogs sold in LA than in New York. Okay. My question here is: How much is quality, and how much is hype? Because are Dodger dogs really as good as their? made out to be, or are they just doing a really good job with marketing? I mean, I, I don't want to besmirch the Dodger dog. Please feel free to besmirch. I mean, we're reporters. I want you to do the honest accounting of what this product is. Like, there are some things that make it different. The fact that you can do it grilled, that the, the classic version is 100% pork rather than 100% beef. Like, there are some things that do set it apart. But for the most part, it, 
it, it's a hot dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what you have is the, the power of marketing, of hype, and then also the fact that Dodger Stadium is the biggest stadium in baseball and they sell it out regularly. That also helps that you just have more people there. And then finally, also, if you're looking at the other food options available at Dodger Stadium versus especially some newer stadiums that have tons of different gourmet options, it's not an area that Dodger Stadium has really gotten into as much when you're looking at a few of other teams and the way that they've leaned into luxury concessions and, and just getting a real variety of things available at the ballpark. Yeah, I think all of those come together. Fine hot dog, but it's not necessarily anything truly special other than the fact that, you know, that the classic grilled pork option is not what you see everywhere all the time. But then you have just the, the number of people who are there to get it, the other options it's competing with, not as much, and then just the, the kind of runaway train effect of the hype and popularity. I mean, long before I moved to Los Angeles, I had been out to cover the Dodgers in various series before, and I had heard all the hype around the Dodger dog, and I could never really figure out why it was fetishized so much out here as opposed to, say, the Yankee dog or the Philly Frank. Your story kind of hints at this about how it's a massive component of the experience of going to a Dodger game. And I think sometimes Dodger fans, LA sports fans in general, get dinged for not really being into the sport so much as the experience. Is this another indictment? of LA fans that they're more about the Dodger dogs than Dodgers baseball? I'm not sure I'd call it an indictment. I think it's it's nice that they have something that they've really like latched onto and made a part of the experience. Do you still want that one of a kind Dodger Stadium experience? Well, all you need is Farmer John Dodger dogs. It feels very much of a piece of all those stereotypes, I think. Yeah, I mean, we can dunk on LA. I'm cool with that. I want to. I want to confess something to you. So again, I'm from Philly, but I live in LA, and I have been to Dodger Stadium many, many times in both the personal and professional capacity. I've eaten my share of Dodger dogs. I'm mean, they're fine. Yeah, like they're they're okay. I think I feel like they're overhyped in the same way that In and Out Burger is overhyped out here. Which I know, like Angelinos, put your earmuffs on because you're going to get pissed off about this because I'm I'm criticizing In and Out Burger. I'm not really. It's a fine burger, but it's not like as good as I think Californians make it out to be. So I'm wondering, Emma, you came out here to do the story on the Dodger Dog. What does Emma think about the Dodger Dog? <laughs> I, I am with you on Team Fine. It's a fine hot dog, but yes. I team was, Fine. I've had them in the past, but while I was working on this story, I actually, I, I had helmet nachos one day and I had helmet <laughs> soft serve the next. I did not seek out an additional Dodger dog. She's a professional reporter yeah. who went to college <laughs> specifically for this. So how many Dodger dogs did you end up eating though? I had one. And I was like, and just they, one they for the story. Just one for the story. And they changed suppliers this year. You know, there's a big change up in the Dodgers lineup. The, ta- the team has now dropped the company that's made Dodgers dogs for decades. I was trying to mentally compare it to it had been a few years since I'd had one. And uh, couldn't can't say I could remember the specific taste of, of the last supplier. That one also was categorized as just a fine hot dog in my head. All the hot dogs blend together. But uh, yeah, it's. It is a perfectly fine hot dog. Fine hot dog. Uh, I guess that's the best thing that we could say about it in this instance. I got one more for you. This is the most important question I'm going to ask you before we let you go. What did you put on your Dodger dog? Just mustard. Straight up mustard. No relish, nothing else. Classic. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. This is why we send her to do the important stories, gang. Read her piece about Dodger Dogs on SI.com. As far as we're concerned here at SI Weekly, she's the top dog, Emma Bachelary. Thank you for this. Thanks for listening, everybody. And a reminder to please rate and review the show. It helps people find us. Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by Jordan Rizzieri, Jessica Yarmoski, and Isaac Lee, who is also our sound engineer. Our senior producers are Dan Bloom and Harry Swartout. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. And if you've stuck around this long, we leave you with this. I thought for sure the last question was going to be, is it a sandwich? You know what? I have uh, I have no pun intended dog in this fight. I don't care about that. It's a sandwich. It's not a sandwich. I like to eat them. Right. That's like the extent of my caring about hot dogs component. 